what if we just destroyed these evil men? Welcome to Groovy Movies. My name is Lily Austin. And my name's James Brailsford. Hello. And this week on the podcast, we have a very special episode because we are joined by Alyssa and Audra from the podcast Culture Colander. Woo! Woo! (laughs) Hello, welcome. Hi, James and Lily. Hi. Hello, glad to have you on here. So good to see you guys again. So good to see you. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, so because we were on your podcast a little while ago, actually. I couldn't believe how long it's been. It was before the Oscars this year. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we we came on your podcast to talk about The Whale. Mm-hmm. And we've basically ever since been looking for an opportunity to have you back on to talk about a film. So Where we've been waiting. Use your expertise. <laughs> <laughs> we've been we've been keeping a very close eye on our inbox, wondering when we might get the invite. <laughs> when you get the call up. Yes. Well, before we get into into the film, actually, why don't you tell us a bit about Culture Colander? So hi, I'm Audra, one of the co-hosts of Culture Colander, where we hosted Lily and James earlier this year. And I'll let Ellie or Elisa fill in the gaps. But one of the, I think, things we really try to do with Culture Colander is model conscious consumption. So I I think often we have more questions than answers. So I'm not exactly (laughs) sure how many like thesis statements or takeaways we tend to have, but we just like talking to our smart friends and bringing in sometimes smart British friends. <laughs> <laughs> the idea with the podcast, I would say our structure is each episode, one of us brings a topic that the other doesn't know what we're going to be discussing. So one of us brings mm-hmm. the research and the other serves as a proxy to the audience, gets to mm-hmm. ask questions rather than both of us being very well informed and talking down to someone. There's an yeah. entry point of I have no idea what you're talking about. Please walk me through this. And it really is any cultural or social phenomenon that we learn about that we want to discuss. It feels kind of like if you read a crazy article and then go to dinner with your friend and you're like, I need to tell you about this that I read about. (laughs) Um, It it, it kind of feels like that. (laughs) I listened to your latest episode about YouTube and I loved it because it's kind of friendly and it's fun. It's very kind of got an informal feel to it, but there's lots of information there, which is my my favorite combination. (laughs) It's like I like to have fun, like to learn some stuff. Great. I know you're you're almost I feel like Ellie she's the one who hosted that episode she does a good job where you're laughing so much you don't even realize how many facts she packed in yeah. like, oh my goodness sneak them in sneak them into the brain box yeah <laughs> for me it was the Taylor Swift lyrics episode that was very oh. close to my heart and I thought I knew everything but I, I actually learned I learned a lot from that episode so if any if any of if any of our listeners are Swifties I would say that's a very good entry point as well <laughs> okay well that's the permission I need to do another Taylor Swift episode so yes just more, hang tight. definitely definitely I will I will be listening okay so I think we have a good framing for this episode because we thought this would be a good one to have you guys on for because we're talking about Saltburn, Emerald Fennel's new movie. And as you guys may be able to tell from Lisa and Audra's accents, they are American. <laughs> we're obviously British. So I thought it might be quite fun to discuss this film because the primary theme is about class and I guess class infiltr- infiltration. So mm-hmm. I thought it'd be quite yeah, fun just... to hear about it from 
your from, perspective. Yeah. The, the kind of assumptions you may have about the English and the class system through films and media and how that's portrayed in films is an interesting perspective, I think. Mm. Right. Yeah, and how it compares with the US, right? Because I feel like both have very, I think, well-established class systems, but they're mm-hmm. slightly different. Yeah, and I think the perceptions are different too, which I'm sure we'll get into as well. I think that there's a great amount of perceived social mobility in the U.S. And maybe we don't have as formal a class system or one where we actually talk about people as being part of this family of land barons or in this elite class or anything like quite so formal. Mm. But is our social mobility really accessible? Uh, To be debated for sure. (laughs) <laughs> okay well should we kick off james <laughs> i've given I you the, the... <laughs> i was going through the listing of the running orders like oh my god i see what you've done here you got in there first lily okay i'm doing the plot synopsis yes so yeah saltburn it's the um second film by emerald fennel the first film was promising young woman which we're big mm-hmm. fans of on yes. this particular podcast a brilliant debut feature so i was fascinated to see what the follow-up would be It's a very different story from her first uh, film, but this time we are following a young student who's starting his life at Oxford, and he appears to be like a working-class kid, quite a bit of a nerdy character, quite a loner. And we follow him as he befriends and gets to know a very clearly upper-class person from money called Felix, who he befriends, and then they get to know each other, and Felix kind of takes him under his wing. So he gets invited to the family estate for a summer, which is, of course, the titular Saltburn. And then, the, I, I don't know, I, I'm sure we're going to have to spoil the film. We're going to have to spoil it. I'm so sorry, guys. Yeah, we sorry. But, but, but... Listen at your own risk. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll spoil it as we talk about it. So this summary won't particularly spoil it. But then things unravel, the plot thickens, things take twists and turns once we're at Saltburn, and we realise perhaps things aren't as they first appeared. So I thought... Following on from when we discussed the well on your podcast, I thought it was a good, it'd be a good starting point to each go around and say a pro and a con, something we liked and about something we didn't like from the film. Yes, uh, and I'm prepared to, to keep it to just one sentence this time, unlike <laughs> yeah. when I hosted you. I'm, I'm prepared. I was the same, I remember. Yeah, okay, Audra. <laughs> Audra, Audra in front of a microphone. She, yeah. she gets excited. <laughs> <laughs> it's why I have a podcast. Okay, so one pro or one thing I liked is just how stunning the whole thing is from the set to the shooting itself. I thought Mm -hmm. it was an absolute delight, even during the more kind of heart racing scenes. It's just so fun to be looking at. I never wanted to tear my eyes away. So I think that that's at least part of what made it so gripping where maybe the plot, or not the plot, but the believability seems to be lacking. I was still eyes glued to the screen. For my dislike, I might have just alluded to it. I just didn't find a lot of the twists believable, which we can get into Mm. later. But I just, going back and relitigating them, I don't know how how feasible some of that stuff really was. Yeah, Mm. totally. Elisa, do you want to do yours? I also loved the aesthetics of the film but to give a different pro i really liked the attention to detail for having like high and low elements in the house Mm. in saltburn Mm. and it really being so 2007 with certain elements (laughs) and i think the treatment of this beautiful place but having like party hats on 
the marble statues and random little kind of crappy elements was really really great and i think my con i wanted a little more explanation or showing more of oliver's motivations like where does this guy Mm. come from why does he have this weird evil twist i understood more the obsession and the crush but then suddenly becoming this like murderer was a little out of pocket i was like wait what's what's up with this guy (laughs) so i i wish i had a little more insight into his background james i have to agree with you both as far as my positive which just the aesthetic the visuals and the cinematography was absolutely wonderful and i Mm -hmm. like you i was well very much appreciating the use of top to bottom cinematography i thought the square aspect ratio the Mm -hmm. shape of the frame really lent itself to because a widescreen films are horizontal which means it favors left to right composition whereas Mm. a square frame you notice above and below which i think was used all the way through the film to signify power and shifting dynamics so so i i loved that you know that that was i was watching that and noting how they coded into it this idea of who's who's got the upper hand who's superior and i think that square frame helped that my negative um maybe it was the plot felt a little bit meandering in the middle perhaps that sounds quite positive on the on the whole james i uh yeah okay i, I have to follow all your guys as pro definitely the look of the film so i'll try and think of something different um one thing i really liked was i liked the humor in it i liked the slightly over-the-top characterization of felix's family the his sir catton played by richard e grant and uh and elspeth catton played by Ros- rosamund pike his parents i mm. I really enjoyed all of the humor in those moments. I feel like the the representation of of this class felt fairly accurate in a way. Mm. Like that read to me as quite believable. The absurdity and the kind of the shallowness and yeah. I don't know the kind of obliviousness. I quite enjoyed that. But then on the other side, the, the con was that to me there didn't seem to be much underneath any of that like I'm pretty sure I that uh Emerald Fennel characterizes this as like an eat the rich type film along the, like mm-hmm. which is so on trend right now with like yeah. White Lotus and Succession and then you know Triangle of Sadness and all these movies it felt like a British parasite right exactly <laughs> exactly but for me I was like that I don't think it didn't like I don't think it went far enough with that. Mm-mm. It didn't. It didn't really go anywhere with it. Really, it felt very um, he didn't surface level. Eat them really? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Well, he he did, but we were all like, "You're gross for having eaten them." Maybe we should. On that note, we should kind of get into it. What did you guys think of the like the depiction of class in it? As Americans, how does that read to you? I think to Lily's point. The callousness really comes through in a way that, yes, is played for humor, but it's also interesting to hear that it was so believable because there were some super cringy moments. For example, the mom, Elspeth, complaining that she has to go to London just for us to find out that she's going for her friend Pamela's funeral or in the same (laughs) breath saying she doesn't ever want to learn anything. I mean, there is a lot going on with Elspeth and... I think that the callousness, those beats just hit home and they feel believable. I mean, maybe me reiterating the script, it doesn't sound like it sounds maybe drummed up. But no, in the moment, you're like, I believe Elspeth 100 percent. And that was a crazy thing for her to just say. So I thought that was interesting. 
I guess another thing that is different or I'm I'm trying to wrap my mind around is sometimes the class resentment that crops up here feels a lot more in the U.S. Like someone is actively exploiting the lower class and it feels like an action being taken. They're doing like they're treating people poorly and they're running a business that they know they're profiting the most off of in a way that is really morally icky. But I think, I don't know, I'm wondering if in Britain it just seems like the sort of inevitability that they all live in this manner and that's just their life. And I didn't see the parents working Oh no, it's for inherited. a single second. No. In, no. It, yeah, so I was like, wait, yeah, that's really, to me, that feels, that felt different. I was like, normally we have... <laughs> If we're talking about a mega wealthy family, if we're talking traditional, we're talking like the dad has a suit and tie on and he's going to the office and he's flying to Tokyo for business meetings and then to Europe and then back. And (laughs) and that's more like what we're talking about this. I was like, they're all just sitting around. Watching Uh, (laughs) a super bad, which I love. Yes. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I love that. Just watching trashy (laughs) comedy. You know, we're not trashy, but just watching any old stuff on the television. They're not watching art house uh, documentaries about like period paintings. No, No, that felt completely plausible to me. I love that. Yeah, I feel like the depiction of class here was very much old money. And I think Mm, what you're kind of describing of American wealth feels more of the new money kind of aesthetics where it's kind of beating you over the head with the wealth and making sure everyone knows that you're rich. So you wear it externally a lot. And Mm. while I feel like the old legacy families in Europe don't have to prove in that way. So they have this huge manner but they're like wearing casual clothes and it's just so the background of my life and I'm so used to it. I don't even notice it. And that yeah. really the in-group, out-group stuff are these like little rules that you would never know unless you were part of it. Like, oh, we're super casual, but we do dress up for dinner and you better, <laughs> yes. you wouldn't know unless you were part of that group. While like with the over-the-top wealth in front of you, you're like, oh, I just need to have a brand name on and I'm in. And those, like, sneaky rules, I think, are a lot more about, like, the class aspects of, like, you can't buy class. You you don't know unless you're just part of it. Like, this osmosis kind of thing. Absolutely. Mm. You can't buy your way into the upper class. You know, you you have to be Mm -hmm. born born into it, really, or marry into it. Yeah. Yeah, the money is actually not a direct coordinate at all with it. Which I thought was, I, I felt like that was the one element, well, not the one, there were a few elements, but I think... One thing that seems to me to be an interesting element of the upper class is often these are people without a lot of money, but mm-hmm. they have, there are big houses and they, and because it's such a closed world, there's a lot of favors being done all the time. Mm-hmm. They know a lot of people with other fabulous places they can stay in the summer and they're able mm-hmm. to maintain this fabulous lifestyle despite right. not having actual any cash. Totally. And also not, and they're not wanting to work, you know. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think right. that's probably a different film altogether, I guess. Like, no, but I completely everything. agree. I was like, I don't think these people are very liquid. Everything is yeah. tied up in this real estate. And it's yeah. exactly yes. what you're saying of, and we're, this, we'll and just, title. yeah, I'll just go to your house, you'll go to mine. We never have to exchange anything really monetarily that it was probably great great grandfather that built the wealth had all Mm. these 
big homes built or whatever and you're just benefiting from it but you're not working to preserve it in the same way because even in the u.s there's this idea even with old money of well surely like you'll take over your father's company or Mm. there's this sort of like ew he's a trust fund kid he doesn't even work there's like Mm -hmm. there is even i feel with those families that have had generations and generations of this like massive amount of wealth there is this sort of expectation that you work for it or like you pretend you work for it this felt like all bets were off and they were just chilling (laughs) in the summer playing tennis in their tuxedos and that's how it is and yeah and and i think the film really plays into the fact that essentially they live in this bubble which is a privileged bubble and but it's evolving the fact that now a lot of these estates don't have much wealth i mean i did work on a, a documentary once where we were filming at a stately home and they didn't have much much cash but you do have a privileged lifestyle. So I, I think that explains why the characters do just seem to have a response to that lack of emotion or empathy that we expect them to have because their their entire set of uh, priorities are completely shifted from what any of us uh, would, would have in our lives. So what do you guys think the film is trying to say about class? What I was taking away, whether this is what it was trying to take away or trying to have me take away or not, is that the British upper class is so unattainable that it becomes this like it becomes this fetish like this thing that you want so badly Mm. that you can't have that it becomes a point of obsession and in that way I feel like they kind of merged some of a Oliver's actual attraction and sexual attraction and then B, his just sexual manipulation. I feel like they merged that with his feelings toward the like upper class in general. I think it was very much the idea of you can't buy your way in and your proximity to power is you're still some somewhat ornamental. I think Oliver doesn't fully understand that for a while in the film that he yeah. thinks, mm-hmm. well, now we're brothers, we're best friends, like I can share an opinion or I matter here. I'm part of the family. And I forget his name. The other friend that's like, Farley. dude, Farley. Farley. Yeah, it's like kind of looking at him like, know your place. You're absolutely a guest and you can be dropped at any moment. Like, don't yeah. bite the hand that feeds you. You're here as a as a prop and a like a guilt that they feel yes. for like oh we have to have our token poor friend come for the summer yeah, especially when there's but that doesn't mean the previous one or something like that yeah yes. exactly and that the second that you know he is kind of a more three-dimensional person there's like distance in their friendship it's like okay yes. well you know maybe maybe this isn't working out and the, those references to the last one or last year's one seems to have had a similar course where it's like all right, well, then he seemed to participate a little too much, so we're not going to be friends with him anymore. <laughs> yeah, but it totally it totally seemed like you have to murder a whole family if you want to have social mobility. Like, that's the degree <laughs> to which you like you you have to want it, because otherwise it's not happening. You have to really yeah. want it. Although you're, you'll, you can murder them all, and you can steal, but it, it won't make you one of them. There's no way. There's just no access point. I was thinking, what's it trying to say about class? And, and I haven't quite figured that out yet. I'm still in flux. But I, I certainly think mm. it, it makes a, an argument that both being from like a middle class or a working class to being upper class, there's, 
I don't know. Oliver's attempt to ascend to the upper class seems utterly without point. I think it's just money-based. I don't know, because mm-hmm. he's not hes not trying to change class, is he? He's trying to chase the money. Is that right? Well, it, okay, I think that's interesting, right? Because it seems to, from the beginning, the film opens with these kind of homoerotic shots of Jacob Elodie looking amazing. <laughs> and I feel like it's really playing on this this desire that Oliver has for him. And that seems initially to be what the film is about, right? I mm-hmm. read an interview, Emma Fennell said she was really interested in the kind of crossover between desire and disgust. And mm-hmm. you see that in the film, right? There are all these like shocking, very visceral moments, often like sexual moments that are also so gross and that like, everyone <laughs> in the cinema was like horrified <laughs> at those moments. And I think, so it seems initially for for the until the final third that that's what the film is about it's about his desire for Oliver being tied up in his desire to be part of this world that he's Mm -hmm. on the outside of and looking at but then you're right James like then when the actual kind of thrillery stuff all kind of ratchets up and it's all everything unravels and we find out the twist that he'd planned everything all along it it does seem like it was just about getting hold of salt burn as a place and becoming but I guess but I guess that's more about the perhaps the like status of the place because there's no well I mean of course there is money in that place I mean he'd make a killing if he sold it but you know it's like it I feel like it's about just being in that world but he's so isolated he ends up isolated yeah uh, watching the film, obviously, the twists are revealed that Oliver's not all he's meant to be, and there's a there's a key moment where right. where um, where Felix takes him on a on a road trip, surprise surprise, and it turns out he's taking him mm-hmm. to his family home. Now, at mm-hmm. what point did you realise something was up? Because to me, as soon as he's getting close to that village, it's like this is middle class. This is not a working class environment. And then as soon as you pull up the estate, as you know, in my was that twist working for you at all, or did that not read? I was I was curious when I was watching it to think what well, if if that if that made you realize, oh shit, he'd been lying at that point. I totally caught on quickly. I feel like that he was taking him to his family home. I And it felt very believable that that character would not think about real repercussions. It was just like, but you know, it's your family. Let's go. Mm. Like, I'm your friend. I'm going to take you. And all of that. I didn't even clock that as a twist. I was like, oh, this is just a, a slow unraveling of yeah. the next scene. But it didn't feel twisty to me. Oh, I clocked it as a huge twist. Like, even when when Felix was driving Oliver through the neighborhood, I was like, I wonder when we're going to get to the neighborhood where Oliver mm. lives. Like, at no point was I was like, this nice-ass neighborhood is where Oliver lives. I was still <laughs> uh, waiting. Right. And then, yeah, I'm like, okay, and, like, next street, huh? Next street. And even when they get out of the car and Felix is walking over the threshold of the front door after Oliver's mom answers, Felix is holding the gone fishing sign and he has this sort of knowing smile and kind of closes his eyes and nods his head as if like classic poor people thing and then walks into the house. So I'm still like I'm still with Ah. Felix like I'm still believing it until the mom says, oh, your dad's in the garden. And then I was like oh, something's amiss, because we've been told that his dad is dead. Right. So then we find out his dad's alive. We find out that he has sisters he's never talked about when he's previously said he's an only child. He claimed that both of his parents were drug addicts, and the only way to describe them in this scene is, 
not strung out and like very I sober mean, they're the, mm-hmm. so they are the most middle class family i mean this is the thing as soon as they pull into that yeah for, for me like growing up in in the, in the uk it's like immediately like, oh my god this is like a middle class neighborhood this is so that i was immediately yeah. Every, everything yeah. unravels and my it's interesting to say that order my reading of him picking up that sign and looking um, i don't know if i'm right or wrong but I, I had a different reading i thought oh he's realized he's been played because for for that character the upper class character of a felix uh, immediately he knows that's the middle class he knows that as soon as he sees the house let alone meet the parents so yeah. i thought he played that i like gone fishing that's what oliver's done he's gone fishing and he got a bite and felix was the bite mm. <laughs> that, that was my read on it uh, but, uh, please leave a comment oh, if- i didn't ever clever, clever. <laughs> i don't, yeah i felt like when he saw the house he was like oh she's cleaned up his act i think he thought yeah. oh it's a nice house for for you but i could still believe that this is working class i for me it was the minute he saw yeah that that the sign was like well that doesn't seem to track with someone who's not got their life together a a little sign like that and then the parents opening the door but i mean none of it was a surprise to me were you guys i wasn't i wasn't surprised at all i feel like it made total sense because it's way less of a sexy story to be (laughs) middle class than it is (laughs) Oh, I was working class and my mom yeah, yeah. is a drug addict and all this. Like that is, I think Oliver sees that as like pure rich person guilt fodder. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm mm. I'm totally going to loop this guy in because he's going to feel so yeah. bad for me. But being fine is just not interesting. <laughs> no, I think in yeah. retrospect, I 100% agree. I'm like, oh, I get, I, well, I sort of get why he lied. I don't totally get why he felt the need to because I'm like, you're actually just fine. Like, that's a really nice life you started with. If you're coming from a lower class, maybe there's more of a class indictment in the movie. But this just felt like, I don't know, killing for what sake. That said, I do agree. It is a sexier story to kind of oh, lie. Yeah. But no, I I believed him. I believed him wholesale. I was shocked to my core. I was very <laughs> confused. I also think part of the problem was a friend before I went told me that this is a plotless movie, which is not true. And I don't know (laughs) what they confused this with. Like, every twist and turn, I was... was A lot of plot. There's, there's, some might say, too much plot. And so I was expecting just vignettes and more and more vignettes and more of their relationship this whole time. And so, no, I was... There was another little layer to to when when he, he... gets taken to see his real parents is that not only are they middle class but they have a very clearly English accents, middle class English accents and Oliver Oliver mm. has a, a, still has his Irish tang because Barry Keown is a, an Irish actor and Oliver still has that, which which is clearly a deliberate choice. Because then that, in my mind, was like, so not only is he middle class, but his parents appear to be British in a way that he's Irish. Now, obviously, the whole family could have moved to Ireland when he was younger and he picked up the accent, but... But it, that to me is another layer of who the hell is Oliver? Like, you know, what what is it? Is, it was mm-hmm. really? I thought that was just him not being able to do a good act. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> which I which he's a very good actor, so that I, wouldn't really it, it, it fully make sim- sense. And it's not difficult to do an English accent. He's done an English accent in Dunkirk. That's all I will say. So, though I thought, were they are they not northern? His they parents? are northern, but it's not like Irish. I thought he was trying to do a northern oh, accent right. and just kept accidentally slipping oh, into m- Irish. Maybe, maybe. It could, it could, I could be overthinking it. Mm. May, I don't know. Speaking of these accents, though, that's something I totally c- couldn't pick up on. And I'm curious, how did... Because I believe Jacob Elordi is 
Australian. So how Is did he? he do with the? Sounded great. Yeah, like sounded like a. Proper... He had the best accent. I guess so. <laughs> like that definitive. I, I was okay. like amazed because I didn't know he was Australian. I knew he's obviously going to be. He's in Priscilla, which hasn't come out over here yet. But I'm very excited to see that. And so I'd heard his accent. So I was like is he American or is he British? I just kept being like, he must be British. It's too But then he does an incredible... What sounds to me like an excellent American accent when he's in uh, Euphoria. Yes. You know, it sounds completely convincing. In Euphoria, mm-hmm. I totally thought he right, was American. Right, so very good at accents wow. we're discovering his uh, chick ability. <laughs> yes. But I was yeah. going to... Yeah, I was going to say that I feel like the... Um, what you were saying earlier, Audra, why are you doing all this... I think it makes more sense him coming from a middle class upbringing because I think it speaks more to the power of class instead of money. The element of wanting to go up in the ranks of class that a lot of times, at especially at like upper, upper class levels, the differences are so marginal. Like, I don't think rich people are looking at poor people. They're looking at other rich people. Like, but I'm richer uh, than you. I'm more powerful than you. The difference between my kind of family and your kind of family. And it's all between, like, really similar people. And mm-hmm. so I think that added more believability to me than if it was just, like, this guy from the streets who's, like, I'm going <laughs> to, like, hoodwink my way into this whole wealth. It's like, no, I'm I'm close enough. And I just don't have these certain elements and I'm competing about this like minutia. It's funny you should say that because I I think you're totally, totally right. The reason I was so excited about this film was that Emerald Fennell was directing it. And and she went to Oxford. She went to a boarding school in the UK that's like for the elite. Kate Middleton went there. Mm. And so I knew she was in this world that she was seemingly going to be satirizing or portraying so I thought she'll she'll have a very interesting angle from being on the inside but then I listened to an interview with her where she talked about she was quite clear to say like oh well I'm not the the catons that I rep that are represented in the film that kind of landed gentry aristocracy oh. background that's not my background her mm-hmm. father was a jeweler like a high-end jeweler he was apparently known as the King of Bling in the tabloids. So she's so she was kind of saying, "I felt like a bit of an outsider. My my family aren't that level. Mm-hmm. We are in the like class system. Mm-hmm. There's like there is a, within them the upper class. Uh. She would consider herself like an outsider or lower yes. to the and and I thought it was fascinating that she she wanted to very much." make that distinction right mm-hmm. which which should actually add i feel like okay that that hasn't that is an interesting thing to feel in yourself and that would be that's an interesting thing to bring to this film but interestingly i don't feel like the film i think is actually it the its portrayal of the alpha class they're nice ostensibly but then say these quite callous things and mm-hmm. are unkind and possibly not good people mm-hmm. underneath but they're not monsters they don't deserve to be killed right whereas mm-hmm. right. the monster in the film is the middle class guy who comes in and tries mm-hmm. to and succeeds in taking everything i feel like what should have been actually from emerald fennel's perspective quite an interesting take on this world I feel like ultimately she she loves the world that she's in I feel mm-hmm. that I yeah. feel like what you know it's a, ultimately a favorable portrayal yes. of the upper class yeah Absolutely. and I even feel like 
in her first film, Promising Young Woman, mm. there's, yes, a degree to which our protagonist, Cassie, is similarly revenge-driven and yeah. not someone that you can full-throatedly or whole-throatedly root for. But you do get to see throughout the movie distinct points where the college could have done better, that dean mm-hmm. could have done better, where the onlookers at a party could have stepped in. They they could have done better. The women who heard Nina's story of being raped, they could have believed her. They could have done better. The men at the bar who fancy themselves nice guys and then take home drunk girls and take advantage of them, they could do better. We're seeing these moments where the people in power are perpetuating this problematic structure and doing mm. bad things alongside yeah. Cassie being kind of hard to root for sometimes. In this, yes, like you're saying, we see the rich family being really callous and really off-putting and ignorant and all sorts of cringy things. But there's no point at which I'm seeing kind of like structural ways that things could have been done better. I just don't know really what we're indicting besides just making fun of these silly, ignorant, rich people at the same time that the protagonist is so much more loathsome. I had a question, actually, that I wanted to ask about the class dynamics is there because thinking about the american perspective is there a version Mm. of the american dream in the uk because that's something that we're really pushed that's really pushed on us is this like ultimate capitalism and that really you can start from anywhere and america's the land of opportunity and you can build wealth and create a legacy for your family if you just work hard enough is there a narrative that's similar to that that's kind of told to you as you're growing up in the UK? Not really. At least it wasn't part of my childhood, really, that feeling of you work hard, you can get any, anywhere. I mean, times might have changed, but but certainly mm. just from my upbringing. I don't think it's part of the national or the British identity. Like, I don't mm-hmm. think it's so drummed into us that, the class you're born into is the class you'll always stay in. Mm. And even if you make money, it's like, and it's also, I think, a point of pride. The way our our class system is, you can't really fake it. There are all these like invisible towels that mean it's slightly impossible. But there is, there's always this like move towards like infiltration, I think. The like kind of upper class or whatever, it's such a small group that it wouldn't remain if there wasn't constant infiltration from people with wealth trying to maintain it like the new money comes in and keeps things going there's this weird thing that is so ingrained in us that like this is the class you are even if you make loads of money you're still you're still middle class if that's what you've wanted to and vice versa like the Mm -hmm. upper like what i said before about Mm -hmm. upper class often not having much money but it's it's a weird and like very i think toxic thing Mm -hmm. and it's something i even see in like dating like class is often something that will come up on a date like what Mm. class you are oh you seem like you might be this class really the most yes it's the strangest that's so like tacky so (laughs) yes and it it way it's embarrassing it's like I think the least attractive thing about being British actually this preoccupation we have but you know what I mean James you think (laughs) yeah I'm trying to think have I I ever been put called upon my class during dating I don't know but you kind of very quickly make some I mean I think my northern accent immediately plugs me into like the the assumption that you're working class because I've got a northern accent I think that's part of perhaps why in it 
Oliver, Barry Keoghan's character is northern, perhaps, is that like if you if you're a southern English person, I think and and of, of that kind of elite, I think there is often an assumption, yeah, that anything northern or not or not RP sounding, not received pronunciation mm-hmm. sounding, is just working class. So that, so he could pretend to be very from a very very impoverished mm. background and hard up yeah. because because that would scan for yeah Felix wouldn't it, it wouldn't all be able to <laughs> to him that makes perfect sense just because he's got a northern accent yeah I think in the I think the U.S. because it probably because it's a younger country is far more preoccupied with wealth than class that I think people care more about how much money you're bringing to the table at the end of the day. And so mm. there does feel if you can build wealth, then you will access certain spaces. And there are fewer kind of legacy names like the Carnegie's and the Kennedy's and families that have a longer legacy. But even so, it's, you know, a couple hundred years instead of this thousands and these castles or whatever and and so I think here it feels more, the promise feels more alive that if you just make money, you will be, you'll be fine. I think it's so interesting to talk about this because I do think that like class occupies like a different area of my mind. Like it doesn't mm. have that much to do with money. And like we were talking at the beginning of this, like, I don't know how much money this family even has. They might just mm. have this beautiful castle. I also don't think in the US there's any way by accent to really distinguish where someone mm. sits like yeah that, that, right i mean there's definitely a lot of language attitudes if in a movie we wanted to code someone as sophisticated because we have mommy issues we give them a british accent and then if we <laughs> want to but like i wouldn't know what kind of british and none of us would know like we could give them the working class accent and we would still code that as sophisticated and then if we wanted to make someone sound stupid because we're i don't know I guess still elitist to a certain degree and also misogynist, we would either give them a valley girl accent because that makes them sound ditzy and and vapid, or we would give them a southern accent to make Mm -hmm. them sound like a hick from who knows where. That's sort of like the way our language attitudes show up. But I really think that beyond that, it's there's no way for us to tell where you fall, wealth or Mm. class by how you talk. Yeah, I think it's yeah. much more aesthetic because even a southern accent, there are some wealthy people in the south. Well, <laughs> like yeah, those they plantations, had slaves. Yeah, those plantations um, make a yeah, difference. Yeah, you guys, you guys do, I, I guess you guys don't really have received pronunciation because, of course, if you are um, upper class in the UK, then you are kind of from birth, you are given LEQ, or there's the idea of elocution and that you speak the Queen's English, which is what received pronunciation is. So hmm. that's a, a very strong coding for your class system is how well you adhere to uh, right. this kind of, uh, this received pronunciation. So there's a lot that's comparable to the hands of Mr. Ripley, right? It's a, it's a, oh, yeah. Yeah. a thriller mm-hmm. in which someone not only infiltrates a class, but then ultimately like kills off the people in, that yep. they've that they've become ingratiated with in order to maintain this lifestyle. And and that, yeah, and that was one of the things that struck me with the talents of Mr. Ripley is that his way in initially is that he borrows a Princeton jacket. And then mm-hmm. because of that, 
it's assumed that he went to Princeton and then he falls in with this crowd. So he could get away with that, even though that wasn't the world he was from at all, mm-hmm. um, because there aren't those obvious signs. Whereas in Saltburn, he, he couldn't have gotten away with that. There wouldn't yeah. be this assumption that he was of this world if he was just wearing a jacket because of yeah class, I guess. And, clothes. and so instead he goes the other way. It doesn't matter that you're at the same school. Yeah, yeah exactly. And getting That's the same enough. education, it doesn't make us the same. Right. So he so he goes yeah. the other way and instead tries to to he pretends to be of a lower class. He like emphasizes that way because it's like, oh okay, if I can't if I can't fake it by being one of them, I'll like really emphasize this like slightly glam- glamorized story that mm-hmm. might yeah. seem interesting to them as like an exotic oddity, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's a novelty value, isn't it? It's a load of life experience that they don't have because they're closeted, comfortable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you guys feel with both films, with Townsend, Mr. Ripley and Saltburn, the homosexual element of it? I was like, when will the gays know peace? What is this? Like, what is going on? <laughs> like, why were they both? Like, I felt kind of strange about the, like, almost weaponizing their sexuality. I felt that. The talented Mr. Ripley was much more graceful about it. I felt like Tom's homosexuality seemed earnest and like some but not all of his mistakes stem from genuine heartbreak. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Saltburn, I just feel like they are entangling too much for my comfort any amount of queerness or homosexuality with really bad intentions or this like weird obsession fetish like this psychopathic fetishization of this person whether for his body personality wealth whatever it is it just felt Mm. too entangled with his like perverse violence for me to be like wait wait let's not pair those two together too closely (laughs) i i hadn't considered that take on it actually i i I just took it that he this is a man who will use every technique that he has available to him where you're quite right in talent mr ripley this tom is clearly a man struggling with his sexuality and, and mm-hmm. he's right. a homosexual man but whereas in saltburn that i don't think that's the case at all and it's not even presented like that it just seems to really? be somebody who's who's using every technique to manipulate but and even to in the privacy of like an empty bathroom he's drinking cum filled yeah. bath water or like he's fucking yeah. a gravesite by himself it. like that <laughs> who is that for yeah, 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 fair enough. The whole, enough. The whole yeah, yeah, film right. presents it as him uh, wanting him. Like we, yeah, we, yeah, we are yeah. shown, we see everything from Barry's perspective, pretty much. Barry, <laughs> Oliver, <laughs> Keegan's <laughs> character, Oliver. We see everything from Oliver's perspective, and he he definitely wants him. And yeah, so you're right. He does. He sort of he does weaponize his sexuality because he he uses he, which to me seemed very odd and implausible. I have to say, him like coming on to everyone like I kind yeah. of was like I don't know I <laughs> the you, I, know, you know I have to say just listen sorry to interrupt you but I've just realized I stepped out to just have a little break at the cinema and I've realized it was when Jacob Elody was having a bath and I clearly missed that sequence and now that explains a lot oh, I didn't yeah. miss the bit where he's having sex with the grave but I did see that and I didn't yes. quite but, but that bit wow okay I definitely missed a key bit yeah but, but, how did the audience react to those scenes in your theaters it was fascinating because the bit where he is seducing Venetia, played by Alison Oliver, and, and she's on her period, everyone mm-hmm. was, I heard someone say, that was disgusting. The horror in the audience mm-hmm. was like, 
I found slightly offensive actually and yeah. <laughs> and then but they seemed to and I mean everyone was horrified by him yeah grinding against the grave as well but slightly but definitely that 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 particular scene the period scene was the one that the my, my audience was not coping well with how well, yeah our what audience, about for you our audience we saw it together and our audience didn't cope well with um I th- I felt like it was the bath scene and the grave scene maybe mm. more than mm. seducing Venetia. Although that one viscerally for me, I feel like because he had just basically called her out for having an eating disorder and was yeah. like, now you're going to do what I say. And also starts hooking up with her and she's like, no, no, it's not the right time of month. And he like forces it anyway. I was like, this is such a manipulative person who is yeah. making her more vulnerable than she already is by outing her for having an eating disorder, mm-hmm. demanding that she obey him. And then after she says no, finger fucking her anyway. I was like, <laughs> what is happening? I So that yeah, is why so I was like viscerally taken aback by that scene. But we did have some, we had quite a bit of gasps in our eyes. <laughs> actually, too. what I noticed was people laughing a lot more yeah. than gasping. Oh, I, yeah, we, yeah. I, I, know, I noticed the laughing a lot. I, yeah. There yeah. were all the times that people laughed. I was like, am I missing something? This is really sad. <laughs> like, I didn't find it funny. <laughs> I, I know that there's supposed to be, like, dark comedic elements to the film. And I found it much more in, like, Rosamund Pike, her character, like, the parents, mm. I found to be the most comedic element of just how, like, mm. out, out of it they are. But the the bathwater scene and the grave, our audience was all laughing. And I didn't have, like, a humorous reaction to it. So I, I was curious if it was, like, a grotesque reaction from folks in your theater, if they were laughing or if people... Fi- I, I found it, like, yeah. really sad. The scenes which, like I say, with Rosamund Pike, the, the, the scenes which seemed to be clearly more comedic were, were getting laughs, but mm-hmm. the, the other bits were kind of silent. I, I, yeah, I think there were some laughs in those more gross out, I guess, scenes as well from my audience, I think. But but just to bring it back to this, to the kind of the queer element of mm-hmm. it, yeah, I feel like it, what I think is so well done in terms of Mr. Ripley is that I feel like it's quite, there's a subtle negotiation going on for mm-hmm. tom ripley of him it's like set in 1950 right and i feel like a lot of it is about him struggling with being closeted having to be closeted and then and that kind of mixing with desiring uh, jude law's character and um but also wanting like desiring him but also desiring his life and his world and that kind of those those two things of being closeted and who you are and and wanting someone who's so free like all of Mm -hmm. that is going on and then the extreme that that goes to it's like Mm -hmm. it's not all figure he's not he clearly doesn't plan any of it but he also doesn't stop any of it he like right he's, he's both ruthless but also doesn't very lost and and Mm -hmm. and sad and doesn't doesn't really I think know who who he is that's this whole thing right well he's bit, he's a great mimic he, he's mm-hmm. lost in who yeah. he actually is because he can't he's not allowed to be himself so then every ex- moment of extremist like feels like it's been earned in a way because we've kind of led to that point whereas in this to me it was all very predictable because right from the get-go 
Oliver says to basically to camera, like he makes it known that he's an unreliable narrator. So, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't trust him and everything is going to be there's going to be twists along the way. So I was almost disappointed that it wasn't more twisted because it was exactly what I thought. But it was like it's unsatisfying then because, yeah, the the queerness is just a weapon to Mm -hmm. like to get him for him to get to where he wants to go. There doesn't seem to be anything any more depth or complexity to it, which is does feel Mm -hmm both problematic and unsatisfying yeah I think with with talented Mr. Ripley I felt more um I wasn't necessarily rooting for him but I felt more like oh no like I felt bad (laughs) for him like oh god he's gonna get stressed out again because he's caught in a lie and he's gonna kill someone (laughs) god damn it Tom and there was (laughs) yeah it's it was like vicious acts that didn't feel like they were coming from a vicious place it can't, it felt like they was coming from an an anxious place while yeah. Oliver, yeah. the fact that it was all calculated which didn't feel particularly earned to me it felt a little like gimmicky like haha this whole time i was plotting everything that just happened and yeah. i liked that in mr ripley it was more like this is just unfolding and he's he's caught in this line he doesn't know how to get out of it and so the actions feel more believable but murdering everyone and then like wanting to i I don't know (laughs) my reading of the whole film actually and it's to touch back something you said in the other start order about the the actions and things not being quite believable the motivations and for me my overall take from it was this was like a bit of a uh, like a fairy story Mm -hmm. essentially more like a fantasy of eat the rich so motivations aren't realistic. Yeah. I, I'm not reading the film as a real commentary. No, like mm. it's it's all a heightened thing. A little bit like Pro- Promising yeah. Young Woman was. It, it it kind of set this, it set the story in a, a very heightened world. It kind of had a rom com mm. neon uh, look to it. And, mm. and this is it feels like an evolution of that. It's like she's taken kind of the things that she's done with Promising Woman and just trying them out on a different form. Mm-hmm. So I didn't take the film as I was meant to be wrapped up mm. in the reality of it, but I, I, en- I enjoyed the the exaggeratedness. And I think the visuals, uh, the, the, the kind of stylized visuals, put me in that world a little bit more. But yeah. it was so implausible, though. Like, it was so like, impossible. <laughs> like, the idea, like, it's just it just felt like such a cop-out at the end. Oh, he planned mm. for the... Ba- I'm sorry, if you're, if you're, if you get a dead tar on your bike you would just like walk the rest of the way you would like you couldn't predict that this guy would be so amazingly lazy that he'd just sit about going oh god what do i do now like so right. even even if it's like and the problem for he me he could be going around doing multiple things every day and that was the first one that worked for him maybe but then show us that <laughs> sorry like do yeah. something to okay. show us that but it, but the but the thing is is that with promising young woman yes it's heightened but there is this like absolutely i think true thing that that film is exploring like the treatment of women and these like the grayers are played upon and there's something very true that the the film Mm -hmm. explores whereas in this like I don't feel like there was enough characterization of what was wrong with the rich for it to be justified for Oliver to kill them off so all that we end up doing I think as a viewer is thinking oh I'd love to be in that class I'd love to live in that house like I want to be back it's like it's not like they deserve you know what I mean yeah right especially because they like luxuriate in it so much you can tell Emerald Fennel is having fun there and it's like also susceptible to thinking this is so beautiful this is so cool wouldn't it be cool to have this more than like let's completely indict the people who are a part of this system especially because she apparently is trying to even distance herself from that I just, yeah. if she if she went to Marlborough and she went to 
Oxford and her dad was the king of bling and all of these things. <laughs> I I just don't believe that this is like if if that is true and she still doesn't see herself as a part of the upper class, I'm not sure maybe she's fully tapping into everything that's wrong with wealth inequality. I don't think this film was about eat the rich in the way that we think about like revolutions. I think it was more about the feeling of hating the rich because we want to be the rich, not yeah. like I'm part of an exploited yeah. class. Screw you. We've taken enough. I'm, you know, mm. seizing the means of production. Like it, it didn't feel like a propaganda film about class uh, revolution. Guess- it was more about like, to me, it felt more like we're commenting on the the proximal power of I hate you because you have something I want. And that like, I think you yeah. said earlier, Lily, of like that kind of line between love and disgust and like hatred and that all of those big emotions you care you care so much and that's why you have these feelings you're not indifferent you're like i i resent you and i want this and i think that's like an interesting thing to explore so i wasn't like putting this film in like a eat the rich category but more just obsession and and desire for like the next little inch i think i just liked that in promising young woman (laughs) she does a better job highlighting where the people in power could be doing better and, like, we just don't really see that here. And I think that I was like, darn, I, I would have loved to see that. <laughs> yeah. But I just don't think that's what the movie was about. It wasn't about, like, the rich don't do enough for us. That was more the setting, wasn't it? Yeah. It was more a dramatic setting rather than it being a, being directly what the film's about, mm-hmm. perhaps. So for me, the most interesting relationship in the film was between Oliver and Farley. So Farley is the, mm. is the cousin of Felix. And he's mixed race and American. And so he himself mm-hmm. is also like in, an infiltrator in a sense, you know, and he mm-hmm. clearly feels himself to be an outsider. And he sees he sees the threat of Oliver as someone else trying to take up a position, but it also doesn't really take him that seriously. Right. And and I thought that 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 bit was where it got a little bit more parasite. Right. It's like the two. Mm-hmm. The competing outsiders knowing that there's not place for both of them or feeling like that. And rather than banding together, they're very much opposed to each other. And I felt like I wanted a bit more of that, really. I'd have loved to have seen more of them. Like, I almost feel like we could have done without the stuff with the sister because that did just seem too (laughs) too extreme, really. And, like, I wasn't invested in Venetia at all, really, whereas... Mm -hmm. Farley was an interesting character, but I but I also feel like the film didn't quite know what to do with with race as an issue that they touch on for a yeah. second and then don't. Re- I don't know what you guys thought of that. I was going to ask you guys. I I I was going to ask. Does this scene feel like it deals with race? Because I didn't really know almost what they were trying to get at. I had seen Farley making eye contact with the black servers at Saltburn, mm. and then a few scenes later, basically saying he knew them better than. Felix clearly did because at least Farley knew their names. And then they got into this, I don't know, 10 second tiff about, oh, don't make this about race. And then it was over and we never revisit it. So I, I didn't even know what to make of it, honestly. Hmm. That to me felt quite plausible, honestly, because I feel like that is often how race is dealt with. I feel like often 
white privileged rich people will just avoid talking about it all will say don't make this around mm. race and not want to have mm. the conversation at all but then the film itself didn't really go there either so I don't know I don't really know what to make of it honestly it's also in 2007 where mm. I mean I I was not privy to conversations about race in 2007 I mean I was in lower school anyway so but I feel like the kind of cultural narrative of talking it being a thing that we discuss is more of a recent phenomenon I feel like yeah I I didn't I wasn't hearing people it it was more of like a like you don't talk about money you don't talk about race you don't talk about politics and religion like all these things like why would you do that and now we're we're more open with that so maybe there's also an element of just time like period piece (laughs) speaking of it being set in 2007 I I could have sworn when Oliver arrived at Oxford, the banner behind him said, welcome class of 2006. Yes. But then a year it's the, they then go in the, the, uh, the, it's the following summer that they spend together. Thought, okay. I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I don't know how that works in the UK. Cause in like, I was the class of 2018, which meant I arrived in the fall of 2014. So when I saw welcome class of 06, I was like, okay, got it. So we're in 2002. But then they're playing the songs like Low by Flo Rida and wearing Livestrong bracelets. And I'm like, wait, was okay, that so, out in so, 2002? Okay, so I think, I think the, <laughs> the reality is that signs like that do not exist in the UK. Definitely at an Oxford oh. kind of place. So I think they were just trying to let everyone know it was 2006. So then we'd all know that the summer they spent together would be 2007. Yeah. But actually, oh, okay. that's not something I picked up on because such... Because those signs don't exist, but you're right. It should have, of course, been like 2000 and, okay. 2009. But we don't; those signs are never a thing, anyway. So. Okay, good to know. I was like, wait, what's happening? But no, Where we, are I we? Mean, we plaster those signs all over the place, so right. it didn't seem out of place to me. I was just, doing, but then you were completely the thrown. And, yeah, that was one of the things I enjoyed very much about the film. It was obviously so much fun to have a film Ugh. set in like the early 2000s and then really like i've seen so much criticism of the film actually for it being like like a tiktoky or instagram bay kind of film and then really like unsubtly putting it in the music from 2006 and like leaning into that which i i feel like it slightly reeks of some sexism because to me she's just trying to make it a great film and like build this world set that and like yeah I, i really enjoyed that Right, why would that be a criticism anyway? Because yeah, by saying something is so, look good. it's TikToky, it's Instagrammable, and like okay, so she chose, <laughs> yeah. so she chose fashion and like music that we're all excited to dive back into. She's so, trying to like, sell like, a movie, um, people. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. Right, I mean TikTok's taking over, so you may as well try and work a bit of that into your film if it gets people to enjoy it. And like right. all. A well-made film will look good on TikTok or Instagram. That's like that's exactly. just, yeah. that's, that's yeah. just making something that looks good. Like, isn't that yeah. the point? Yeah, <laughs> it's not like it only works on TikTok. One part that I wanted to see what you guys thought about that I really liked was the tour of the house, like the scene where uh, Felix is mm. showing him around, and like we're going so quickly, and we're. It's yeah. so tight, and it's just like you basically just see Felix walking around, and everything he points out is like 
things that are important to him of like, oh, this is where I fingered my cousin. Not like, look at the beautiful art. He dismisses two Rubens, two yes, crap Rubens two or something along those lines. Yeah. I thought that was such a good example of the class thing of like, oh, this yeah. is just the backdrop of my life. And I'm just showing you my tour of the house is not going to be what you would care about. And the, the Oliver's just looking around like, oh, my God, this place is incredible. And he's just rushing through. And oh, I loved that scene. Yeah. yeah. And that then at the end, we have like another walk through the house mm-hmm. when with the music and he's naked and, and it's so much slower. And like you get to see the house mm-hmm. more. Yeah. I thought that was really yeah. cool with music, yeah. specifically murder on the dance floor. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, no, but you, you, I, it was a wonderfully done because with the initial sequence where it's Felix going through the rooms it's a continuously moving camera Mm -hmm. and he's rattling off all the different things so it's very breakneck it's got a kinetic energy to it but in the later scenes where now essentially Oliver owns the place Mm -hmm. it's now his the camera's static and it is wider so you can take it in more it's almost as if he appreciates what he's got more than Felix ever did yeah he's like relishing Um, in it can we just talk about the final scene? What did you guys make of Oliver dancing naked around the house? Uh, frankly, if I had a mansion, I would do the same thing. Like, I <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. And I guess he really does enjoy it more than the Cattons ever did. I think what about that scene really made me feel uneasy was him having fished all of the rocks with their names on it out of the river and put it on top of that puppet mechanism, that, like, I puppet know. apparatus. Because I knew that, like, Puppet had been a motif sort of throughout the film. Like, Farley had earlier at Oxford told Oliver, you're getting closer to being a real boy. And I was like, real boy? Are we talking about Pinocchio? And then later, of course, Farley makes Oliver sing that song, like, about you pay my rent during the karaoke scene. And then it ends with, actually, Oliver's been the Puppet Master all along. But it just felt very, oh, it just felt so eerie and impossible to want to let him enjoy that moment i i kind of loved it just because (laughs) i i felt like if we were gonna get this sort of implausible back to the fantasy idea of i planned it all along then it seemed fitting to end in this kind of campy way i really liked it because of the comparison to the first time that we get a tour of the house and that it felt Mm -hmm. like slower and like we're milking it and look at all this beauty and it just felt like delicious and indulgent um Mm. and the fact that he's naked and he's just like this is my house now and and it feels very commenting on that class thing of that family would never do that but he does because he's like look at me in my big house and that's like the difference he's still from a different world and i and i you know sucker for a great song at the end of a movie you know I mean, obsessed with that song. <laughs> Saw Sophia Baxter at Glastonbury last year. It was my highlight of the festival. Oh, so my God. <laughs> <laughs> And I, yeah, I love that ending. It is like horrifying and chilling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also like, and yeah, I think there's something in the house feeling when they first, well, throughout the scenes with the family there, it feels both impressive, but also really oppressive, right? Mm-hmm. These, it's quite dark and it's clearly an incredible building and home but not like homely so I think that kind of the uncomfortableness mixed with the joy of seeing him dancing naked around the house I was was into but also there's like a note the fact that the the house is now empty it's not full of life Mm -hmm. like it was with under its previous owners and now it's just him 
alone in rocking around this house, which doesn't sound appealing at all. Yeah. 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 How much of Saltburn was attractive because it's a cool big house and how much was the allure of the family? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Well, overall, would you would you recommend how would we don't really do stars, but let's do it. What would you give it out of five stars? <laughs> would you recommend people to go see it, guys? I guess I would give it, if we're doing out of five stars, I guess I would give it a three. I, I really felt like it was gripping. I really felt like I personally was surprised, even if I don't think the twists were plausible. I think it's pretty. I think the acting was really good. But I just think for it to continually be marketed as a an indictment of class or a satire of class, I think is inaccurate i don't know that it accomplishes what it's trying to do and there were some moments that i just i don't think worked i would i would certainly recommend it i think i would also give it a three i thoroughly enjoyed my viewing experience watching it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um and i i do think that it's a satire on class i just don't think it's an eat the rich kind of movie I, I didn't watch the trailer. I haven't really been privy to a lot of the marketing because I wanted to go in pretty blind. So I don't know if the marketing is really pushing that. If so, then it that feels inaccurate in, you know, how Promising Young Woman was very much like a, a fantasy of what if we just destroyed these evil men? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this um, didn't do that. But I do think it's a satire on class. I think it's a solid three out of five for me as well, and I would recommend. I think we've all appreciated that it looks great, and I think it's well worth taking a trip to the cinema for. Because mm-hmm. yeah. you know, there's a lot of films where you could just see it on a laptop, you could see it at home, and maybe you're not going to miss out. But I think it's a beautiful looking film. Yeah. If you are going to check it out, try and see it at the cinema. Yes, yeah. you know, see, see it on a big old screen, especially yeah. when the like they they do a lot with the score, like when the score cuts out. During mm. the grave scene, having to sit there with a huge audience Whoa. and just all yeah. bear witness together. <laughs> oh my god! It's it's excruciating, <laughs> isn't it? Because the the, yeah. mu- the music to begin with, when the music plays over that graveyard scene, that gives you a distance from what's happening, and then that fades out, and you've just got the rain sound yeah. of the atmosphere. You're like, yeah. oh my god! Yeah, it, it suck, it, suddenly oh. you are sucked into what's happening, and it's like relentless. This is mm-hmm. obviously an Emerald Fennel's signature because she does the same thing in Promising Young Woman when Carrie Mulligan is being. I don't want to spoil it, but a terrifying moment in that film, which is also excruciating to watch. Yes. And my friend literally yeah. was like trying to cover my eyes. Yes. Stop oh, your God. Yes. And it goes on and on and on in just the yes. same way. Right. It's like yes. she's very good at doing that, making you really sit and like witness mm-hmm. something that you really wish you didn't have to. <laughs> Yeah, oh, totally. I, I mean, I'd say throughout the film, the craft involved, like her, the quality of the direction, yeah. and there's like the, all the departments, the costume, the cinematography, the score, it's all like top tier. Even if it doesn't work, and I think we've gone through the things that perhaps were a bit flawed or missing, I still think overall, as a nice cinema experience, I, 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 yeah, I rate it. I think Emerald Fennell is an amazing director. I just think the plot needed to be worked out a little bit to like, mm-hmm. I want to, I wish I'd been more surprised, but mm-hmm. it's an amazing looking film and I'm like excited to see what she does mm-hmm. next. How many stars, Lily? Oh, stars? Three, three as well. Three as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's definitely. I thought you were going to rock the boat. <laughs> no, I'm so sorry. I, I think three is the right number. It's like so fun to watch and worth watching. I just, yes. yeah, just would have liked to, to have, it had something unexpected happen like Oliver and Felix ending up together or something like that would have been a nice <laughs> yeah. twist yes <laughs> okay cool well shall we end with a trip to the film pharmacy absolutely yes. 
I wanted to ask, how does one submit to the film pharmacy? Oh, very is there a phone oh, number? Great question. Thank you. That, yeah, that is a very good question. Thank you for answering that. You can submit two ways. You can send us an email, groovymoviespod at gmail.com, or you can DM us on Instagram. Which is also groovymoviespod. Message us there or leave us a comment asking a question. We will pick it up. Okay, fabulous. Yes, but having said that, for this week, we're, we're the ones with the question. <laughs> we're submitting a question okay. to Culture Colander because... We're recording this a few days after Thanksgiving, which I think as a Brit is a slightly like unknown entity, right? I feel like so much, yeah. so much of American culture is has been exported to the rest of the world. But for some reason, I guess they just think it's this one is a bit too specific to America to make sense. If we want to get Thanksgiving and what it means to, to Americans, what might we watch? I was thinking about this because I don't know if I've ever seen a movie that I can think of that's about Thanksgiving, which is so weird because there are so many movies about Christmas. Right. And Thanksgiving is just completely not it. I can't think of a film, but I would watch all of the Thanksgiving episodes of Friends. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is, so, that is a, good a good recommendation. <laughs> okay. I was going to say... I have two. The first is more of a cheeky, kind of cynical, I guess, recommendation. But I was going to recommend The Greatest Showman because, like we do with Thanksgiving, really whitewashes the reality of the history. So I think that if you want to be <laughs> equally blissfully ignorant, go ahead and watch The Greatest Showman. There's no Thanksgiving there. No, just j- the only connection is whitewashing uh, history. Okay, I see. <laughs> then in terms of something that I feel like approximates what we actually do in Thanksgiving is this movie called Dan in Real Life with Steve Carell. I think it probably came out in like the late aughts, but it's this basically family trip or maybe all of these um, relatives coming together in one of the family's homes and having to spend a weekend together in close proximity. It's not about Thanksgiving, but it it captures what Thanksgiving feels like. But I think the way we as Americans think about Thanksgiving is it's really like family and food. You're you're mm-hmm. going home to just like eat a lot with your family and say the things that you're grateful for. What we do learn about in elementary school is how it was this beautiful friendship between the settlers and the Native Americans. That's what they always tell you. The pilgrims mm-hmm. learned so much and we were all just getting along and they completely ignore what actually happened. And so it's now become this holiday where we're just, oh, we're just thankful for that gorgeous friendship and the knowledge they shared. And none yeah. of us talk about what it actually is. Yeah, there's like right. an image of there was a it's like the last supper. Like there was a there was a dinner and on one side of the table were Native Americans, on the other were pilgrims, and they ate corn, and everyone was happy. And everyone got on, and <laughs> yeah. it was lovely. Yeah. Right, right, okay. Yeah. Understood, thank you. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you guys so much for joining us. Yeah, really appreciate your perspective on things, and, and maybe before we give our uh, outro, perhaps you'd like to just t- let our listeners know how they can find you and where they can track you down. Yeah, for sure. They can find us on Instagram at Culture Colander. We're also anywhere you get your podcasts, so feel free to listen. We're in our third season right now, which is really exciting and um, hopefully many more to come. And then I guess you could also email us if you have any questions or maybe you also want to collab. 
James and Lily have set a high bar, but if you if you <laughs> want to try to clear that bar, you can email us at culturecolander at gmail.com. <laughs> well, that's it for another week of Groovy Movies. And uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Goodbye. Follow us on Instagram at GroovyMoviesPod or email us GroovyMoviesPod at gmail.com. Groovy Movies was produced and edited by Lily Austin. Music and sound by James Brailsford. Our logo was designed by Abby Jo Sheldon. For references and more information about the films discussed, check out the show notes.